How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Perfect. So I'm excited to share this one with you. Carrie uh, reached out to me um, and asked if I would speak, uh, just obviously based on um, her being away and uh, giving her the freedom to do that. I know we're in the sermon series of growth. Um, and so if you would, if you could grab a Bible, uh, I think the verses are going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but we're going to be looking at John 15. I'm going to, we're going to look all the way from 1 to 17, um, but we'll read it in snippets as we go. So John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we're going to pause there just for a sec. And we're going to speak to uh, the rest of the verses through 17 this morning. But I wanted to speak on the topic of just staying close um, this morning. Um, and my major point today, the goal of our faith is not perfection. The goal of our faith is proximity. So not perfection, but proximity. Despite popular opinion, um, our lives are not meant to be perfect. They're meant to stay close to God. And He's called us to draw near and stay close to Him. So before we get started, uh, let me pray for us today. God, we thank You for this gathering. We thank You for this church. We thank You that we get to do this and we don't want to take it for granted. Gathering in this space that this is your church, not the building, but the people here today. God, prepare our hearts that this word is not something that just fills our minds, but it changes our hearts and transforms our lives. We want to stay close to you. We want to draw close. We choose to slow down. Amen. So, this might shock some people, it might not shock others, but I'm pretty into sports. I like sports, man can attest, any type of sport. Um, we were just away in Ireland and we spent a couple of nights just watching darts on TV after the kids went to sleep. Any type of sport. And actually, Meg enjoyed it, um, which was, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I like any type of competition. And as I was preparing for this, um, Something flashed back into my mind a couple of years ago in the NBA Finals. There was um, the Golden State Warriors versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was game one. The score was tied. There was about four seconds left in the game. Cleveland had a free throw. They missed the free throw, but they got the rebound. And I'm sure everybody's seen the image of J.R. Smith getting the ball and running the wrong way. And LeBron James saying, no, go this way. And that, for some reason, popped into my head when I was preparing for this sermon. 
Um, in all the confusion, in all that was happening, he starts dribbling the wrong way up the court to the wrong goal. Um, and I say that to say this, that we can put so much energy and so much effort into life, into what we do, that sometimes we're focused on the wrong goal. Um, so much energy that the practices, the effort, the waking up early, the diet, the money, the finances, all that type of thing. We can spend our entire life focused on things that are leading us in the wrong direction or we're, we're dribbling in the wrong path towards the wrong goal. And it would be a sad thought to get to the end of our lives and realize that we'd put so much effort in to only realize at that point um, that we've done it all wrong. So it's almost as like, what is it all for? So I'm going to go out on a limb here today. And I, I think that in our current society, in our current culture, the human condition, more than ever before, we're a society that we're putting so much effort and energy into things that they're the wrong focus and they're the wrong goal um, as a society in general. And I wrote this down this morning um, in the side of my Bible. My Bible, my dad got it for me when I was a teenager. It, it has the wide margin, so it has lots of room for notes. Uh, it's actually interesting looking back at some of the thoughts I had as a teenager um, and kind of going back through that. But I wrote this down this morning. Um, the greatest goal prompted in the world today is self. Um, if you can make yourself look good, you're winning. If you can make yourself a success, you're winning. If you can make yourself confident, you are winning. But we neglect to understand that the greatest cause of the human downfall is self. So why are we now looking to self to be the savior of ourselves, of our society, of our people? If self was the answer we would have changed by now, but we're still kind of going through the same rhythms as we always have. So maybe the goal is not self, but living a life beyond self. Giving ourselves over to somebody that is greater than ourselves. In society, we've been so consumed with this, and it's almost been packaged in a nice, lovely way. Again, you look at all the advertisements, you look at all the marketing about finding your true self. It seems all nice and innocent, um, but again, it can be so destructive because it's not focusing on the right goal. Have you ever noticed that as the world has gotten smarter, we've become more destructive? Again, the more information we have access to, the, not I'll use the word dumber, but we become a little bit more dumbed down as a people or things just don't work out the way that we anticipate them happening. That as we've had more access to things to make us as a better society, we've come a little bit more and more worse. Why? Because a predominant amount of what we feed ourselves is pointing to finding the answer within ourselves, a different path. So the more and more we make it about self, the more and more destructive things can become. And this is where we come to in this portion of the scripture in John 15, this is the time around the Last Supper. Um, a lot of the conversation here throughout the book of John has been kind of dining table conversation. And then from John 15 onwards, Jesus and the disciples start kind of walking. Uh, and then they start having these conversations. And that's where the idea of the vineyards come. But in the previous chapters, we get all the I am statements um, of Jesus. 
I am the bread of the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, just like this last song. And lastly, the last I am statement uh, that he makes is, I am the vine. I am the true vine. And this is something that we need reminding of over and over and over because what we're talking about here is the Christian journey. It's the, the faith journey that we go through. So what does this story tell us about Jesus and about us? Well, the first thing, number one, that I wanted to point out was we're all looking to something to give us strength in life. We're all looking. There's always going to be something, every single one of us. But Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, I got to put it this way, and I don't think it's a problem because I guess I can stop at any time. Isn't that the interesting statement people say? Um, but I love coffee. Um, I, I really do. Um, unfortunately, yesterday I made the mistake of starting a juice only cleanse. Um, it's horrible. I was talking to Jamie about it. Um, so I, I have six juices a day. Um, today I've had two already. Um, and that's all I can have. But the saddest part about it is I don't get to have coffee. Um, so is anybody else a big coffee person? It's like the first thing they do when they wake up. I know Jamie used to work in a coffee shop, Matt as well. Aaron's got your little mug there. Um, I was thinking, yesterday I, I had a nap for the first time in a long time. I don't know if that's just my body saying, what are you doing? Um, but again, I'm not tired. I'm just uncaffeinated. I'm not grumpy. I'm just uncaffeinated. Um, so I need it every single day, and again, that's probably a problem, um, but I guess we're all a work in progress, right? No, that's okay. Um, so here's the thing. Every single one of us have a form of that in our lives. Every one of us, and to use Jesus' language, we all have a vine that we're drawing from. And Jesus says this, that's why I am the true vine, because there are other vines. There are multiple vines you can be drawing your strength and energy in your life from, but Jesus says, I am the true vine. There are a couple of vines that we like to draw from. Um, we like to draw from the vine of the world's pleasure, the pleasure of career, relationships, money, success. That's a vine that we like to draw strength from. Often the issue with that is that vine often takes more than it gives. If you're looking to career, relationships, money, success to give you strength and sustainability, then guess what? It's going to suck out more than it gives back. So that's one that we need to be careful of. We also like to draw from the vine of self, like what we were just speaking about, your personal happiness, your strength and well-being. That is what you're looking to draw strength from. The only problem is that is the vine sometimes leads to selfishness or self-centeredness, which leads to isolation and loneliness. For a number of years, there's been a big, strong movement for that true self and personal happiness and so on. But unfortunately for some, it's easy to be so caught up in portraying or putting out that um, vision that it actually becomes quite isolating and lonely because you're constantly reflecting something that isn't there. I have it together that I'm the source of my true happy. But eventually, even though you can be around others, you're often isolated from the fact of what you're trying to get. It's a dangerous place to be, and it's a vine that, again, leads to isolation. There's another vine. It's the vine or the fake vine of empty religion. And yesterday we went to the Minnesota Zoo. Uh, we had a, one of Sawyer's little friend's birthday parties there. Um, and 
we, we were driving past IKEA there, and again, uh, I made a comment that's IKEA is Swedish for torment. Um, IKEA, I have a love-hate relationship with IKEA. Uh, again, IKEA has been fantastic for our family. Again, we, we still have our first dining table uh, from IKEA. Um, our kids' bed, furniture, all that type of stuff, it's, it's great. Uh, but it, it can be a very frustrating place. Um, I think mainly, too, because everything in the store looks so perfect. Like the way that they set it out, it looks nice. They've got the plants, they've got the fake fruit. Everything looks so real. But again, it's the appearance, and then when you get it back home, obviously it doesn't look that way, or it's a little bit wobbly, or it's not made the same. Um, this, to me, is what empty religion can be like. Empty religion will give you the appearance of looking good to others, but it doesn't make you good. Just because you do good things doesn't make you good. Am I just forcing myself to do it? Now, there's a time and place for when doing good things against what the flesh really wants is great, but the truth is we're not doing it because that's who we truly are. We're, we do it because we think it's the right thing to do. But God comes along, and guess what He does? He changes our behavior. He changes our nature. So it's not doing good because that's what God expects me to do. It's doing good because I can't help but do it. There's something in me that really changes that. Empty religion only points us towards changing on the outside, on the veneer. Sometimes it's human nature, but we want to make, when we want to make a change, we look to get around people that are already doing it. Again, sometimes if you feel like you, you want to kind of get more active and more exercise, you, you get around a group that does that. Or if you want to, again, some people use the church, they want to get back into kind of that Christian walk. Again, you can often use things like that um, and kind of get a wrong, or around the people, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. And again, not to say that those aren't good ways to make change, but oftentimes it can just lead to a superficial veneer. Uh, because you're doing it for other reasons. And that's, again, empty religion. Are we against religion here? No. But are we against empty religion? Yeah. In other words, it has no meaning. It has no depth. It has no substance. And this is exactly what Jesus predominantly was speaking to when he speaks about the true vine. Because he's talking about all these religious leaders who are about to crucify him in the next couple of days. And they are all empty religious people. They are a fake vine producing fake fruit. And it's appealing for everybody else around. But he knows the true state of their hearts. But he says, alternatively, you could come to the true vine of relationship with me. And guess what that true, the word true means by definition. It means genuine. A genuine relationship with Jesus. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is, I am what you've been looking for, and you belong with me. You don't belong with any other place to draw strength and sustenance from. You belong with Jesus. And he's saying, I am the true vine that you've been looking for. The other side of that is, I am your greatest source of love, joy, peace, patience, satisfaction. We are all drawing from some vine. My question to you this morning, is it the right one? The second thing we learn from this story is God is not an angry punisher. He's a loving father. He's a loving gardener. So if you look at 
verse 2. He says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, there are a few different types of gardeners out there. Um, there's the aggressive type that they mow with aggression. Uh, they chop things off. Um, they like hacking and ripping. I feel like when I was pulling out the raspberry bushes in this garden, I feel like I had to be that aggressive um, gardener. Uh, but there's also the type that tends each day. Uh, my grandparents were like this. My grandfather would let out his racing pigeons. He had about 80 racing pigeons. Um, and he would have to do that a couple of times a day. And he would clean out the coop and he would shovel and scrape and kind of wash that down. All the while that was happening, my grandma would just spend the time in the garden. Um, she would tend to the lawn. She would do the flowers. She would prune the trees. She took her time and was patient, and it was a never-ending process. It wasn't like there was a target in mind. It was the love and the peace and the patience that she kind of put into that. It wasn't a chore. It was just kind of her life, and as she did it. Here's what we need to recognize about God, a few truths. God is meticulous about your life, about my life, about our lives. It says this, He prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they can produce even more. Now, a gardener, he's looking at every branch that he prunes. He's not just looking at the whole thing. He's not just looking at the ones that don't. He's not just looking at the ones that do. He's looking at all of it. The Bible says that God is like this when he prunes. Now, there are four reasons why a gardener prunes. Anybody want to have a guess? What are the four reasons why a gardener might prune? Produce more fruit. More sunshine, yeah? Yeah? So, again, I could probably lead that into kind of making space, yeah? Yeah. So removing dead wood, making space to help things grow greater, to remove damaged wood, to remove diseased wood, all these types of things. So to remove dead wood, the Bible says that when you meet Jesus, you die to yourself. That thing is no longer who you are. And God says, I'm just going to snip it out. You're dead to that now. We're going to remove that from your life. Sometimes we say, God, no, I need that. I I want to hold on to that. But you don't. You're dead to it. You don't need that to draw life and substance from. God says, I'm taking that off. He gets rid of the damaged wood. And this is a big one. Many of us, again, in the context of the church, many of us have come from previous church experiences uh, that weren't good or have left you slightly damaged or um, from any other area in life too. And you would think that God would be like, oh, come on, let's put a Band-Aid on, let's kind of clean that up a little bit. But no, actually, he's, He is compassionate, but what He really wants to do is kind of snip that out and chop that out. Let's prune that off. That offense you had that you're carrying around from church to church, from life to life, from relationship to relationship, let's cut that out and kind of be clean and spend our energy on other things. Let's get rid of that. God is graceful, but He's also sometimes brutal. You think about what a prune, what scissors do, they chop things out. The next thing is disease. You know what disease to your soul is? It can oftentimes be unforgiveness. It's a poison, and poisons spread. 
The reason why you get rid of diseased things is because disease spreads, especially in a garden. God says, I've got to help you forgive and cut this out because it's going to come back and hurt you. It's going to spread. It's going to spread not only into your life, but into everything else that you might touch. The last thing he says it does is it helps to grow. If the vine dresser or the gardener doesn't prune, too much energy and effort will go just into the stem and not into the fruit. In other words, I have to cut this back so the energy goes into the right places. So God will prune things back because you've been putting energy and effort, again, maybe into self, maybe into the things that you think are really important. But God's like, no, I want you to be far greater. So we're going to snip this back a little bit. One last thought on this. Not every difficult season is a bad thing. He says he prunes those that are fruitful so that they can bear fruit. And sometimes that's an interesting thing to think about as well. It's not just pruning the things to cut them back, but it says in the verse, every branch is going to be pruned, even the fruitful ones, that they may become more fruitful. When you said yes to Jesus, your heart was pruned, things were cut off that no longer needed to be there anymore, and it was through God's word. And why, and this is why it's so important that this book is a means to prune from our life things that are destructive. Every time I read this book, it's very much like a mirror. The book of James says that when I look into it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is who I am in Christ. I'm like, why am I even doing this anymore? Why am I even doing that? Why am I thinking that? Why am I acting that? It's a mirror for me to see the things in my heart, in my life, that I don't need to do things this way anymore. I need to have my focus changed. I am a new creation in Christ. It starts to prune things out in my life. But if you neglect it, then things will start to grow that shouldn't be there. We just got back from Ireland for two weeks, and oh my gosh, our garden was ridiculous. It's insane how much things can change so quickly. Again, you, you don't tend to it for a little while, Boom, weeds are everywhere. Even the, the things that we're planning on growing are just abounding. We left now, sunflowers are this big. Now they're like 15 feet. It's ridiculous. Like now everybody in the neighborhood can see them, which is fine. But again, there's, there's other things I didn't want to grow in the garden too. In a world that says to avoid trials at all costs, to avoid bad things, to avoid difficulty at, at all costs, sometimes God says no those are okay. Embrace them. Because I'm doing something through that trial or through that word that will make you more refined and so much stronger. The last point on this piece here is that you can't experience true fruitfulness without faithfulness. Firstly, for a branch to produce fruit, sorry, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Your faithfulness in your spiritual journey is what's going to give you that fruitfulness. But the word there is faithful. Faithful. The idea of working out, working out at a gym, is that you commit to the routines, you commit to the lifestyle, you commit to the discipline. And what will you get? Results. Right? If you commit to all those things. But if you give up after a week... What are you not going to get? 
results. It takes discipline. It takes faithfulness. And some people are like, man, I've been reading my Bible for a week. Why? Oh, I'm still a little bit flabby. I'm spiritually flabby. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness, not overnight success. This is not an overnight success journey. And it's kind of the worst PR by Jesus, to be honest. He said, if you're going to follow me, guess what? It's going to be hard, right? It's not impossible. It's going to be hard. Hey, is getting a six-pack abs impossible? No, but it's extremely hard. It's not impossible. And if you commit to the journey, you're going to see the results. And we'll get to just exactly what that journey looks like in a minute. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to see a fruitful spiritual life, you have to be faithful. Now, you guys are in here, in here at church today. But do you realize that the average Christian shows up to church? It used to be one in four weeks. Now it's one in five weeks. And you wonder why people are spiritually flabby. My faith isn't growing. Well, are you around a place? Are you around a people that are helping guide you in that direction? It's pretty simple. Cause and effect. You have to be there. You have to be faithful. You have to keep moving forward. Point number three, and there's too much to cover, but good thing that we're going to be here until two, which is great. (laughs) Number three, what Jesus is saying through this is the goal is not doing, the goal is remaining. I'll say that again. The goal is not doing, the goal is remaining. So verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, you could look at all the stuff that we're talking about today and easily think, well, it's easy. I just got to try harder. I'm not doing good enough in my faith. And we can walk away from service this morning and say, oh great, just another thing that we need to focus on this week. I'll add that to the list. I got to get better reading my Bible. I got to get better at spending time with Jesus. And we make it on the wrong focus. Those are the wrong focuses. We have to realize that the goal is not doing. The goal is remaining. Guess what the goal of reading your Bible is? It's actually not to read the Bible. Oh, I read my Bible. Great. Awesome. The goal is actually to get closer to Jesus. Guess what the goal of prayer is? It's not to pray. The goal is to get closer to God. Guess what the goal of serving others is? It's not that you would just say, I served others. I did good works. No, I'm actually drawing and becoming more and more like Jesus. Like this is actually things that draw you closer to him. So when Jesus says this, we have to recognize when he says that you remain in me or to abide. We can also use the word abide. Guess what this word abide means? It comes from the Greek word meno, and meno means to depend, to rely on, to draw strength from, to make home in. He says, I want you to depend, to rely on, to draw strength from, to make your home in me. That's what I want you to do. 
So why should we do that? Because he wants to, us to produce fruit. Fruit. So does that mean he wants me to be super successful on the outside? Sure. I'm sure God has great plans for you on the outside. But it's not actually that. When he talks about fruit, he's actually referring to something on the inside. And Paul touches on this in Galatians 5 with the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He's saying that when you abide in me, this is what the fruit is going to look like in your life. Question, Sally, have you ever walked past a lemon tree, an apple tree, a vineyard, and the trees are like, <clears throat> trying to puff out fruit? No. no, right? They're just trees, right? They're just trees. They're just focusing on drawing from the ground, drawing the substances it needs, Roots are going down, drawing in the water, and getting everything it needs. And what is happening? Fruit. The fruit is not something that they're focusing on. The fruit is actually the byproduct of remaining or abiding. So God says, don't make the goal doing, make the goal remaining or abiding. So as you draw closer, guess what happens? The bumper sticker that probably everybody knows says something happens, right? Guess what? When you draw closer to Jesus, fruit happens. Just hang with me, you'll be more peaceful. Just hang with me, you'll be more patient. Just spend time with me, you'll be kinder. Hang with me, you'll have more self-control. He says, just be with me and that's going to happen. Fruit is going to happen. So, how do I buy, abide in it? How do I do that? It's basically doing what Jesus did. Follow the way of Jesus. Oh, okay, that's easy. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> nice little sermon there. Just be like Jesus. Great. No, but here's my big point. Your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. I'll say that again. Your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So if you're looking at your spiritual life right now and you're like, man, this is not where I want to be, your system is perfectly designed to give you the result that you're getting. So what's your system? Well, I come to church once a week. That's good. That's great, actually, based on the statistics that I just said. Once a week is fantastic. But maybe your system needs to be daily. I spend time daily. Daily, I get up a little bit earlier. I carve out a little bit of time on my lunch break just to spend time abiding daily. I just spend a little bit of time before I go to bed. The moments of gratitude. The moments with my Father in heaven. Just again, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So if you're not happy with your results, maybe it's time to check your system. Just a thought. And here we just want to help one another. This is why we need community. This is why you need church every week. This is not a place that we say we just do church. We're trying to abide more in Jesus. And this is just another means to that end. It's, it's all a system helped to design to draw us closer to Jesus. Last but not least, and I probably said that a couple of times. Uh, the last thing this story tells us is that the goal isn't perfect living, the goal is perfect loving. 
It's not perfect living. This whole faith journey is not about perfect living. It's not about perfection. It's about perfect loving. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now I pause here. He knows how we work and He knows how we function. Again, He designed us, right? And He's saying that if you obey His commands, what you're doing is you're connecting yourself to the vine and you're remaining in His love. Now, does God still love you when you don't obey Him? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. God loves you. The Bible says that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, absolutely. But in other words, if you want to experience all that God has for you, just stay in what He's told us to do. Stay there. Again, just abide. Does He still love you when you're outside of Him? Yeah. But He's like, come back. Come back into them because that's when you will experience it. When you abide in me, you experience my love. You won't just know it. You'll experience it. You'll experience it daily. And again, this is something that we need to constantly remind ourselves of. It's a daily task. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is, and this is actually where it becomes a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit inconvenient. Me and God, yeah, I'm happy to love God. It's easy to love God, but when He wants us to love others? Okay. So my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no other, no one than this, to lay down one's life, one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And what Jesus is saying as we close is basically talking about the outworking of His abiding relationship, of this abiding relationship. He's saying that this is what's going to happen if you abide. And it's really simple. The evidence of an abiding life is loving better. The evidence of, a, of an abiding life is that you love better. So how do you know that you are really abiding? You're loving better. No more selfish, no more self-centered. No, you are loving people better. Why? Because you can't help but do it. Because you're remaining in the source of who is love. And that is pouring love in and through you. It's the evidence of a transformed life is that you love better. And that's my prayer for this church. It's not that this building gets filled with people, which again would also be great, but ultimately that we would have people, be a people that love better. And we're constantly growing in that. That is how we know that this John 15 chapter really takes root in our hearts. 
the evidence is there. Are we a people, are we a people that love better? You see, the goal of our faith is not perfection. The goal of our faith is proximity. Stay close. Let me pray. God, we want to love better. Help us to remain and to abide in your presence. Draw near to us this week and let us feel your presence with us. Prune us so that we can be more like Christ. We do all these things that your name will be praised and glorified. Amen.